Welcome to In Loving Recollection. This is your pal Brent. When I was 14 years old, my cousin Mindy had come up to Georgia for a visit, and before leaving to go home to Florida, she left with our grandparents a mixtape that they were to give to me. On one side was a condensed version of Van Morrison's Moon Dance, and on the other, her favorite Dead Milkman tracks, which did include both the studio and live version with extended monologue of Bitchin' Camaro. I wore that tape out, especially the Dead Milkman side, which also gave me a bit of currency when I became friends with some of the punks at my high school. More importantly, though, this mixtape had introduced me to music that just would not have been on my radar at that point. My cousin thought it was something that I needed to hear, so she made sure that I heard it. As I've said many times on this show, it's so vital to have people like this in your life. Cool individuals with really great taste, willing to share something that they love, that has the potential to thoroughly blow one's mind. I've had a number of experiences like this throughout my life. So many of my deepest cuts first came to me through recommendations from trusted voices. It really is such a simple act, just sharing something that you love with another person. But it's also pretty essential, especially today considering how many of us often consume music. As wonderful as it is to have instant access to almost every song that's ever been recorded, I do think that the abundance of choices can get a little overwhelming at times. There's just so much material vying for our attention that it can be a challenge to decipher what may be worth our time. That is why, as I previously stated, it's really important to follow through on those recommendations from people that you trust. And really, this is all to say that I love Rosalie's new record, No Medium, and I really think you should listen to it. I came to this album through a recommendation made on Instagram. Now, as much as it can be a detriment to society at times, I will say that one of the nice aspects of social media is the direct connection that artists can have with their audience. As a fan, I've been following Light Heat's Quentin Stoltzfus on Instagram for some time. Back in March, he shared the album announcement for No Medium a record that he had done some work on at his studio, Silent Partner, which I also happened to follow on Instagram. And I'm pretty sure Matt Barrick of The Walkman posted about it as well. So there was a lot of trusted voices telling me that I should get into this record. I had seen the name Rosalie before. I remember reading a review for her 2018 record, Trouble Anyway. But for whatever reason, I don't think that I had actually ever listened to her music. But after seeing Stoltzfus post, I decided to check out the first single for the album. And by God, Quentin Stoltzfus was right. It was really great. And then with each subsequent single that was put out leading up to its release date, I really began to anticipate this album. I especially fell pretty hard for Waited All Day. While I was working on the fairly recent Light Heat episode... I happened to mention to Stoltzfus that I had been endlessly listening to Waited All Day, to which he replied that the whole album was in fact a stunner. And considering that Stoltzfus himself has also been responsible for some real stunners, I took his word for it 
and knew in my heart that this was definitely going to be a record for me. So on the day that No Medium was released, I put it on, and I listened. This is the story of that record. I'm Rosalie. My third record, No Medium, just came out, and I wrote all the songs for it. And I play acoustic and electric guitar across it, and I sing. <laughs> Songwriter Rosalie Middleman would spend her childhood in Michigan, and it is through her parents that she would gain an interest in music. Well, I grew up in a really small town north of Grand Rapids, which is one of the larger cities. It's West Michigan and sort of central, and yeah, just a small farming town. And my parents are musicians and hippies and. There's seven kids in my family. Like we were just kind of like the weirdo family in this town, a super conservative area. And you know, nature has been like a big component of my life. Just growing up in the woods and having that connection. So the magic and beauty of that, but also feeling like a total outsider. My whole upbringing and the community that I was in, and couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> you know, typical story um so my dad was a classical cellist growing up and then he switched to guitar and I just have very strong memories of him playing the like Bach cello suites on the guitar like falling asleep hearing him play and my parents were in a rock and roll band growing up and every week on Sundays they would have practice at their friend's house so I remember going there every week and you know they had their friends had kids we'd play but hearing them practice and we'd all sing together too kind of like the von trapp family we'd do old traditional songs and that's where i like learned how to do harmonies just by you know there's seven kids singing so yes early as i can remember and there are always guitars out so i I taught myself how to play guitar my parents didn't even (laughs) They just figure like, oh, it's weird that there's a piano out, there's guitar out, like just kind of pick it up more so just, you know, out of, out of boredom. And so, I, yeah, it's, it's been a major part of my life. It is at an early age that Middleman begins to experiment with songwriting and would really begin to take the craft seriously while attending Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. I remember my siblings and I, we would just make up just goofy songs and 
trying to like one up each other on funny lyrics. I'm the fifth kid in the family and my younger sister and younger brother, especially, we would all just kind of get real goofy. My brother is an excellent guitarist and bassist too. So, but then I think getting like serious about writing songs in college, I had a band. It was kind of like a pop punk indie band called The June. And I started writing like song songs then. I thought I was going to be either a scientist or <laughs> or I was pre-med for a little bit, you know, kind of just like I'm going to go kind of, you know, do the opposite of my parents' artistic music life and I'm going to be a doctor. I was going to actually have a minor in environmental science, but do something like that. But I just realized, oh, no, I'm actually, I, I can't deny the fact that I'm an artist. <laughs> After graduating from college, Middleman would eventually move to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she would immerse herself within the local music scene. Well, I lived in Vermont for a couple years, and I was a cheesemaker, milked cows and made cheese. And I moved there with the guy I was seeing at the time. We played a lot of improvisational music together, and like, he was a graduate of Bennington College, which is known for more of that kind of exploratory. Like Milford Graves was one of his professors, and we were both farming and then playing experimental music and kind of reached a point where we're like, you know, this is just a weird zone to try to do, you know, both these things. And we wanted to kind of focus more on music and art. So that was like early, mid-2000s, and yeah, we decided to move to Philly. It was really affordable to live there at the time. You, know, you could rent a whole house for $600. At that time, there weren't too many venue venues, like small venues um, or mid-size. So a lot of shows happened in houses and warehouses. Like That scene was pretty strong. So just like starting going to shows, and meeting people, you'd see a person at a noise show, and then you'd go to like the folk show, and you'd see the same people there. So you kind of just started meeting people. I met uh, Brooke Saint and Sins, who's in Espers, and she had this awesome house that had um, this giant courtyard backyard, and she would put on shows in her backyard. So we became friends, and then I quickly met Mary Lattimore, the harpist. We became good friends. And eventually lived together years later. But yeah, just start, slowly started to make friends in the music scene. And at that time, I wasn't performing. Like as Rosalie, I would do these experimental shows. I think not that many people knew I played music. <laughs> I was shy. And yeah, it took me a while to kind of... I was like writing songs the whole time. But it took me a while to kind of get to a point to share it. Eventually, Middleman would begin working on solo material, culminating in the release of her debut record, Out of Love, in May of 2016. Show them around the bed, show them where it's at, cause you don't 
My relationship with the person that I'd moved to Philly with ended and we had been improvisational duo and we had like years and years and years of music and that was really important to me. It was very formative. Um, but we had all this music recorded and I was simultaneously writing these songs uh, for Out of Love, which my first record. And I didn't know what I was going to do with them, but I made friends with a guy named Gerhard Kerner and he was an excellent musician in Philly and he was in the band Lilies for a little while. And we were like, we were just like having, you know, those nights where you're like, well, here's a song I wrote. Here's a song I wrote. He's like, hey, I've got a recording set up. Why don't you come over and I'll record these songs. So we kind of did that over a few months in 2014 or 15, I think early 2015. At the same time, Tom Lax of Silt Breeze Records, he'd offered to release uh, the duo that I had with my ex because he'd heard a, sh a show of ours and, you know, it's more of an experimental label. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was still friends with my ex. Um, but so we got together and put together this selected, you know, tracks out of the decade worth of music. And right when we were getting ready to release it, I was supposed to go get the, the final mixes so I could have someone master it. And he totally ghosted me. And it's, <laughs> I just couldn't get a hold of him. He would self-sabotage in those ways. And so I had to finally go to Tom was like, so where, where's the record? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. I can't, um, I can't get a hold of him. I don't, I just have these like really low quality MP3s of the record. It's done except for mastering. And, um, he's like, well, why don't we just release your record? I really like your music. Um, let's just, let's just do a Rosalie record. And my record was ready to go other than mastering. So I was psyched about it anyway, because, you know, to release music that is kind of a dead project, it's kind of nice just, I guess, just to kind of like let it go. But at the same time, you know, what I was doing was a new thing and I wanted to play shows and keep building my songwriting. So it, for me, it was a better option. During the process of making her second album, Middleman would meet the founders of the independent Spinster label, eventually signing with them for the release of Trouble Anyway in 2018. So I'd already started recording my second record, and I was playing a show uh, at Hopscotch Music Festival in North Carolina, and Sally M. Morgan and Sarah Louise and Emily Hillard. I knew Sarah and they were at the show and we got to talking a bit then, but not really because they hadn't formed the label yet. They were just kind of talking about it. And then a little while later I was on tour and I was playing outside of Asheville and I met up with them and they're like, so we're starting a label and um, it's called Spinster. We're gonna do, you know, radical feminist artists and, non-binary and traditional kind of no genre but and we'd love to release your record so my record was their first release and I was totally stoked to kind of be the inaugural release for them and um and they're great they're good friends and right now it's just Sally and 
Emily, who run the label, Sarah is off making her own killer records. While spending some time in South Carolina, Middleman would begin to work on the material that would eventually become No Medium, developing songs she had begun some years prior. Well, a couple of them are old songs, but the bulk of them started writing parts of it, like just, I guess, you know, bits and pieces years ago that I have a voice memo on my (laughs) phone. But um, to actually like put them into song in 2019, um, I was supposed to go on tour with Jay Maskus in the UK in January of that year. And it got pushed back till May. So, and it was kind of a short notice pushback. So I'd, I'd already had the time off from my multiple jobs and blocked this two week period out. Um, and actually through the spinster friends, Sally and Emily, they had a friend who they rented out there. It was like, it's like a fa- old family house um, that nobody lives at full time. And they'd been started to rent it out to artists and writers for super cheap basically just to pay utilities. And that's in South Carolina, about 45 minutes south of Asheville, just, so just over the border. Um, so I went down and rented the place for two weeks and was there by myself, brought basically all my gear. <laughs> just kind of like, oh, in some ways I was like, I'm going to make a record. I'm just going to mess around. But I ended up just writing a lot, walking a lot. I'd never spent that much time alone alone um like the only people I talked to were at the grocery store I didn't see anybody other than that you know it was a a nice secluded house like the driveway was super long and and these rolling hills pretty idyllic so yeah I just spent a lot of time working on mainly the lyrics at that time I was doing a lot of self-reflection had been a I'd had a difficult few years and just really working through a lot of that being outside of the city and all the distractions of things and just kind of getting that space for my thoughts to clear up and get out these things I was feeling and saying so yeah that's that time span is where I wrote the majority of them, and then finished them up, you know, tightened them up <laughs> over the over the next few months after that. In the fall of 2019, Middleman would go on tour with the Omaha, Nebraska-based rock band David Nance Group. while on the road that the musicians would become close friends and eventually lead to a creative relationship. I play guitar in another band called Long Hot. We're a trio that was garage rock, we call it Basement Boogie, and it's with my friends Eva Killinger and Catherine Lippman. 
and we did a tour with the Nance group in June of 2019. And I'd met Dave a couple times, band The Renderers. They're like a New Zealand band, and they're great, but they're in the States now. But I was playing a show with them, and uh, Mary Rose, who she's the singer and guitarist, kind of front woman of the band, she was like, Rosalie, you have to meet Dave Nance. <laughs> He's wonderful. You have to meet him. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I lo- love Dave's music, and then which I listened to, and then he was playing a show. So that was around the time of my first record. So then I met Dave a few months later, and I think I weirded him out. I was like, I was just intense because like Mary Rose had already been like, we need to meet. Um, <laughs> anyway, circling back, Long Hots and Dave, we'd all, all kind of been kind of peripheral friends, and we both had seven inches coming out on Third Man Records. So we just started like, oh, we should do a tour together. It'd be a great fit. And we booked a two-week tour. We all just became the best of friends. We were all riding in the same van together. It was just so much fun. One of the best, best tours I've ever been on. And in Detroit, Dave was like, Rose, Rosie, we want to be your backing band. And Jim um, Schroeder, who's plays both bass, guitar, and Dave's band and recorded um, one of his records. Not his last one, but the one before. It's like, yeah, I got all this like efficient little setup in my basement. So we started hatching the plan. We're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, we're going to make it happen. I'm doing it. And I, I'm kind of like, oh, you suggest something to me? I'm, we're going to do it. So we just started talking about it. And I started sending them, you know, the songs, the little demos I had made and was working on but my demos like I'm not I'm like it's you know on my phone voice memos with my Casio <laughs> just playing guitar and we just talked about the vibe and the feeling of songs and what we we're trying to go for we planned a 10-day stint in November of 2019 and I flew to Omaha well, actually we did another little long hot Dave Nance tour down to Texas and back and then I stayed behind and Spent 10 days in the basement with those guys. So it's an open room that the main band was set up in. And then we had it's kind of like a another room in the back that's mostly cement. So we'd put some of the really loud guitars back there and that would create a different sound. But yeah, not a very big space. Um, we did most of the tracking live and with like guitar overdubs and vocal overdubs. But to get the initial feel of everything, you know. We, we just played the song straight through. Following her work in Nebraska, Middleman would return to Philadelphia to complete the album with Quentin Stoltzfus. I've known Quentin for years, and he had just finished this studio, Silent Partner, finished um, building it maybe, I, I think it was in early 2019. I'm trying to remember the first time I went over to the studio. I think it was I was hanging out with Gerhardt, who had recorded my first record, but it was not during that time. It was much later. We just went over to jam, like hang out, and like, oh, come over, like this is here's our studio. So we went. I hadn't recorded the record at that time, and even Quentin was like, oh, I'd love to record your next record, but I didn't have a plan at that point. But um, I guess when I got back 
we just started chatting about it. Matt Barrick um, had been playing drums in my live backing band in Philly, who's also a partner and silent partner. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of like, I think they were being a new studio, trying to uh, let's get some projects going. You know, Clinton's an awesome songwriter and musician in his own right. And, you know, he's is a good friend, so he didn't like, bulldoze my feedback or anything you know he really respected me and he heard what we were trying to do from the tracking like he heard oh yeah I get I get it and didn't try to like make it anything but what it was just to sound awesome so everything was sat in the mix in the right place and in the end they made a record No Medium opens with the track Mouth, a slow-churning number that features the organic melding of electric guitar lines that leisurely snake around the no-nonsense rhythm section. With subtle splashes of percussion, banjo, and organ, the track's musicians create the perfect backdrop for Middleman's expressive vocals and also sets the tone for the rest of the album. started writing before that time in South Carolina and I was just kind of like writing this you know the cadence and the melody and I just had that which is kind of how I I usually start with melodies first I was in a situation just kind of like trying to face somebody or like having this conversation with an intimate partner (laughs) um that just kind of like that, you know, that line, like, well, you know, here's a mouth saying your name, like, I'm right here, like, pay, you know, like, like, pay attention. And if you don't want to, then go away. It's kind of like the feeling. Um, So that's what started there. But I mean, the overarching theme in much of the record is just facing myself, which is kind of like what the rest of the song and the lyrics that I finished my time in South Carolina, you know, like the East of the river, I was traveling on, watch me lie undone. 
and the rest of me in a forest overgrown till I'm free of all that I've known. It's just, I wanted to be free of everything that I've had experienced. I was having, I think trauma, PTSD. I was going through some stuff and, and like a lot of regret and just really just trying to get to a point, a closer point with myself and thinking about intimacy and, I mean, that's basically what it is. And like the, you know, like a growing older perspective, like the, the chorus, like, doesn't it feel like love? Doesn't it remind you of that? And um, doesn't it belong to you? And it doesn't belong to me like it used to. It's, I don't idealize romance <laughs> anymore. And just kind of leaving that feeling behind and maybe a little wiser and smarter about things and so that's kind of like the overarching theme where the lyrics are it's kind of using that the mirror of the love song to talk about your own personal shit <laughs> He's an Omaha genius. He plays pedal steel on the record. He came over one night to track and, you know, we're just kind of like, well, here's some of the other songs from the record. And he, there was a banjo just hanging out and he picked it up and he just started playing it. And we were like, yeah, this is so perfect. <laughs> that was totally like unexpected. Somebody, you know, just like the brilliant contribution of somebody who came over and felt inspired to add that part. And love how it's just like, it's just kind of a groovy percussion part in a way. And then it comes in later in the song. So it, you know, picks up, like comes in when the shakers come in. So it, you know, it feels like it's just attached to the, to the groove more than, you know, a melodic structure. That was the first song we'd recorded. The framework was in a good place. We're listening back and I was like, Oh no, I forgot to sing a verse. <laughs> Or like I forgot half of us, and so we had to redo it. And poor Jim, <laughs> but that's good. We ended up like coming to a new place with it that felt right. I try to not approach things like with a a genre in mind or time. It's just sort of I think more about like the people I'm working with and playing with, and I think because we were just kind of in the moment, you know. There's a very, like, there's not a lot of, like, overthinking things. Um, so it's, like, an, a naturalness to, like, who we all are. We're all playing on the record, which... Also, I'm, like, heavily influenced growing up with traditional music. I think that in my melodies, there's a certain, you know, language that draws from old, really old music that is timeless in a way. With its swirl of Russ Never Sleeps guitar noise, filling in every nook and cranny of the sonic space, the triumphant track Bones is Middleman's ode to the acceptance of being alone. Attracted like some 
This one, I, I think, like was uh, the hardest one to mix. It's the most going on, um, but Quentin did a great job because there are a lot of guitar parts, <laughs> and like that are kind of you know doing different things all at the same time. Yeah, this is one of my favorite songs on the record. Like the the jammy guitar parts get stuck in my head. Which is funny, like thinking about a song, like I'm normally like, oh, the lyrics are stuck in my head. I'm playing rhythm on that song. The guys are stoked because they're like, we love the song, it's in five. So there's Dave's part, which is like the the wildin' out guitar, and then Noah Sturba is playing the, the riff that do 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 And that part came later, so we did the tracking and Dave's part, but we're like, this song needs like, it needs like a little hook. <laughs> and now it came over and just like immediately heard that, played it. Um, I'm really indebted to like just the brilliance of these guys because they just, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> The singing in that low register was fun. It um, kind of makes things more like like visceral, and I like how low the vocals are against kind of that brightness of the guitars. bolstering it too and because it is low in the mix you know it's kind of like you know gives it like the specter of something and he's kind of like mellow like his voice is like you know that baritone and with my more visceral <laughs> forceful singing of that refrain yeah it just came together I think Dave did that vocal on the last day I was in town um, and I, I, I'm so glad we ended up doing it we almost didn't
cathartic, fuzzed-out abandon of Pour Over Ice features Middleman on lead guitar, which wildly twists alongside her emotionally raw delivery of lyrics dealing with addiction. is about my bad relationship with drinking and I've been sober for 15 months now but when I wrote it recorded it I was not I think alcoholism snuck up on me um and I'd reached a point with it that it was like I just felt like I didn't recognize myself anymore and the waking up of feeling you know you have the moral hangover all you know you don't <laughs> what I say, what I do. It was just kind of like a destructive force in my life, which is, you know, what it does when, it <laughs> when it's out of control. So that song, like, that, you know, it sounds like I'm singing to a person, but it's really me talking to myself. Um, like the opening, like, lately I do not remember you, and that the you is me in the song. So having, like, that underlying theme, I guess, of the song, but it being a total banger, a <laughs> party banger, <laughs> it's kind of, like, a fun, you know, way to go about maybe being brutally honest about something and and also yeah that recklessness like of the guitar um i was just like oh let's just say it wants want to sound like a, a car crash that's like happening slow motion um this is kind of how i felt just slow motion car crash day in and day out but also having a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> like drinking is tied in with a lot of with touring and playing shows. And that's what makes it the cycle. It's like, oh, I'm kind of a and I can be like socially awkward or just like shy. And, you know, drinking really helps kind of just become a, a, a free flowing person is just like, yeah, oh, I can put on a show now I can. I'm not thinking about whatever, you know, the the things that get in the way of <laughs> just being present. You know, drinking can also like give you energy in the moment when you're like, I got, oh, I, 
I'm not going to play until 10 o'clock. I just, I'm here at the bar. <laughs> so it just was like a kind of becoming a vicious cycle. That was also fun. That was when we actually redid the vocals at Quentin's studio. Because the first round, they were a little more like country western in a way. Um, and I was kind of like, this just isn't fitting. Like, just like, oh, this feels off. And Quinn's like, let's just, like, let's do it. Like, go for it. Like, you, you got to go, you know, all out. You know, put your put your feeling into it. And then we doubled it. So I did it twice. <laughs> we all knew it had to happen, but Quentin's, like, pushing me to, to get there. Is really what kind of brought out that, I don't know, that, that visceral feeling of it. <laughs> Greatly demonstrating Middleman's gift for songcraft as the expertly arranged piano ballad waited all day. on an out-of-tune piano, again with my friend Gerhardt in his studio, and I was just kind of like playing the piano part and singing the melody, and I was like, I don't know, this could be something, but I'm not a skilled piano player, like I can just like, oh, here's a chord, here's a chord, but I wish I could play. But I like, I know I want it to be a piano song, and I didn't quite have the lyrics done for this one until I was in Omaha. I had like my journal notes about it and was writing them out. I remember Jim making fun of me a little bit in like a very friendly way, but he's like that line, I'd be gloriously adorned in all your jewelry. <laughs> and the, the finery, you found me like, <laughs> like teasing me a little, like, I was like, Oh, you don't get it, Jim. Um, yeah. And this song, you know, it's kind of like about, I've always had like a perpetual feeling of waiting my whole life. You know, I, I didn't start doing music until I was in my mid thirties, like releasing music. I've been playing my whole life, but when, when am I going to like do this and like have this feeling or like, who, who am I like trying to understand life? Um, and that's kind of what it's about, like coming to know yourself and, this one, we almost, I almost scrapped it from the record because I just, it felt so different. And this before we recorded, it was kind of just like, well, I got the chords and the song. I don't, like, how, 
how are we going to make this fit with everything else? We're just like, well, let's track it and see what happens. So we invited over an awesome musician by the name of Anna McClellan to track piano on it. And it just wasn't the right sound for me. Her parts were great, but it was a little maybe too playful what I was going for. But it gave the framework. Jim's roommate, Daniel Knapp, he's a wonderful piano player. <laughs> and I was just like, I just want straightforward chords. So he played the, the piano part. And I love how the tambourine comes in and Kevin's drum parts. But I think the song really like nailed it when Noah did the guitar part. And we set up two amps to do like a slap back delay against the, you know, it's from amp to amp, which gives it that really cool sound. And I'm like, okay, yeah, here we are. We're in the, <laughs> this works. Now this fits in with everything. Even though it's not like a guitar heavy song, the guitar part is so, just so in the pocket that I felt like it made it, the song cohesive to fit with the rest of the album. The song itself, like I'm very proud of the song. Um, I've been getting a lot of messages from people about it. They, it's resonating. <laughs> and so that, I don't know, that's, I guess, the end goal for. <laughs> Asleep on the floor again Just to ground a sense of things I want to slow dance with you To someone who can really sing this lightning ain't frightening to me All this lightning ain't frightening to me Containing a sparse arrangement adorned with pedal steel, the intimate track Lightning acts as the perfect come down following the expansiveness of the previous songs. Put myself squarely there, freaking out over nothing Wanna wrap my legs around your neck, finding pleasure in a recklessness. All this lightning ain't frightening to me. All this lightning ain't frightening. This is one of my favorites. I might say that about all the songs, I guess. Um, but this is, you know, it's a, like a happy love song uh, that is about those sweet little moments you have with a person and that kind of magnetism or the electricity that you can feel like in a, maybe it's just like a fleeting kind of thing but just very real and exciting and the refrain all this lightning I was actually in a lightning storm driving <laughs> from 
Lexington to Louisville on tour and there'd been like a tornadoes that ripped through and this lightning was just shooting all across the sky. And it was just so incredibly beautiful and outrageous that I was like, I was excited. <laughs> I just felt stoked. And I turned on the radio station and it was like local garage rock station, which kind of never happened when you're in the middle, you know, <laughs> in that zone. But I just felt, I get, I just started to get excited. So like, I was feeling like that refrain, all this lightning, it's not frightening. And so that kind of stuck with me, but then thinking about it in terms of, you know, the, the feeling you have with somebody else, like, oh, there's a, you know, people say there's a spark or like there's an, that attraction and that's what the electricity you have. And I like how, yeah, like it's just very gentle. It's a sweet, gentle song. But even though it's like about light, you know, like the light, the lightning refrain, which isn't a gentle thing. It's just, just kind of like a sweet thing. You would like, oh, it's clear. It's not frightening. It's, it's calm. And even there is like lines about recklessness and abandoning your inhibitions a little bit. But yeah, I think it's a sweet song. It's a song that I, when I wrote it, I was like, oh, okay, I can write, I can write songs again. Featuring a sultry vocal performance full of confidence and swagger, the track Whisper, with its laid-back groove and ample amounts of noisy guitars, effortlessly creates a space in which beauty and abrasiveness can coexist. Caught in a whisper, do you especially on some of these songs because that's kind of like the duality that I feel within myself so that one was the hardest for us to figure out and like the vibe like when I first got there Jim and I were playing it and it was a very slow melodic kind of like these like slidey back and forth guitar parts 
then we were just playing around we weren't tr really tracking yet and i was like i just i don't want this song to be sad like to feel sad i wrote it when i was mad i was just mad like so that's the energy i don't think the song sounds angry but like it's just like it's a more of a self-possessed thing than a just a, a mournful song we were trying to track it live for a while and there were some parts of it it's got like a funkadelic vibe to it and, which i loved but you know we didn't have a ton of time to kind of really learn the songs as a group we were just struggling i'm like this is the right direction so this song is like i owe it to jim and kev and who they just Jim was like, all right, everybody stop. <laughs> Let's just stop. So Jim and Kev did bass and drums. And then Jim did the guitar, like the acoustic guitar to get that part. And then started layering some Juno keys and other synthy sounds. And then I added a little melodic electric guitar part. Jim added his wailing ripping shredding part and then then I did the vocals for that song drunk <laughs> at two in the morning <laughs> um not drunk I but I'd been drinking and it was like 3 a.m I was like we were listening back to it I was like all right I'm, I'm gonna do a take and he's like you're gonna regret this like I'm not I'm feeling it right now and that's the take it's a 2 a.m take I was just feeling like, this is it. Here we are. And I, I just did, I think one or two takes in that moment. And that's what we used. And then Matt's part came in Philly. Cause I'd been listening to like the mixes, pre-mixes for a while, just to kind of think about like if they needed anything else. And I just kept walking around Philly, like walking to work and to and from things, listening to it a lot. And I was just like, I really just hear I want to hear like another groovy percussion part. And luckily I know the the best drummer in Philly. <laughs> One of the best. No offense to all the other fantastic Philly drummers. You all are amazing. Um, but yeah, and I wasn't even there, but Matt and Quentin got together and laid down at some congas and bongos. Yeah, then mixing them in was just the hardest part, like how to get it. Because at first it was just like, well, it's just too overwhelming. And like how they sit in the mix, where they come in, because we kind of pull them back, you know, in the verses and come up in other parts. So it just, it's like the perfect groove. And I think it's a weird song. <laughs> and weird is good, but it's kind of like an unexpected, I don't know, there's something about it that's it's psychedelic, I guess. Breezy, if not for now, exemplifies Middleman's strengths as a lyricist, creating a catchy chorus with just the right amount of ambiguity, allowing the listener to form a deeper meaning with the work.
the opening line, you make me crazy, but I won't let you go. Not until it's over. Like, okay, I'm totally aware it's going to be over. And I could just, it could be over now, but it's not. And I'm okay. Like, let's dance around blindly. We'll be in this moment, not for now, for later. It's, is, is maybe this enjoyment now feels one way, but maybe later, and it can work both ways. Like, it could be a positive thing now, and then be like, man, what was I thinking later? Or, I, <laughs> or the other way, like, oh, well, later on, maybe I'll have. I'll have learned something or it'll I'll remember back like oh that was fine just kind of yeah that mantra and the reminder to have a eagle eye view of things maybe and like a long timeline in your life and not feel the anxiety of the moment letting it take over I guess that's like the grander vision of the song but yeah it's like being in the moment uh, this song is so fun to do. <laughs> we played around at first with some like drum machines and just like kind of goofing off the like islandy lime and a coconut vibe <laughs> was so fun. And you know, I'm playing the guitar part and the rhythm. And yeah, Kevin, I think he had like all these bowls, singing bowls upside down on his drum kit and did all these different percussion parts like there's layers of shakers there's that kind of like oh there's a breeziness to it then the part that's really fun that also with Colin Duckworth we're doing the two of us are doing these arpeggiated guitar lines on the chorus they're really low in the mix but it kind of adds like we're playing but he's playing in fives and I'm playing in three I think and it kind of starts to give it a little wooziness in a very subtle way Dave's part where it's, that's another one that's kind of like this like busted guitar solo it's in this you know like breezy song I love that what seems like an incongruent moment or sound just like wraps it all up in the package of like you know there's a multitude of feelings <laughs> about like oh being in the moment and like oh things are fine but maybe there's this little storm brewing or there's like a undercurrent of something that I think comes through with that guitar then Robbie Bennett he plays in the war on drugs yeah, back in Philly, I had Robbie come over and I can't remember if it's Borlitzer, but like that doo 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 little like 
key part that I love. It kind of feels, it just, yeah, adds to that almost like a carnival summertime feeling to it. It's one that I've, I felt like, oh, it's a song. It's, it's just goofy, but in the best way. Like, I don't mind being goofy, but people have been like, that, I love that song. Like, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Which I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I thought that that'd be one. Like, where, where did this song come from? <laughs> Say whatever you will, I won't be bothered this time. Because I found faith in a feeling that's better aligned. Say whatever you long for, you've got nothing to Let's get on to the next thing, baby, cause I'm tangled inside. Whatever love does to me. Whatever love does to me. Well, I'll be the fool. As we near the end of the record, we get Middleman's soaring celebration of resiliency with the track, Whatever Love. We joked like, yeah, this is like a classic rock song. And that's only like in, the, like as we're recording it. It wasn't really set out to be that way, but it just kind of worked. That was one that I also finished the lyrics for on the plane to Omaha. <laughs> I had a lot of lyrics. But... A lot of things I wanted to say because it's kind of like telling it, you know, like it is. And I needed to edit that down because there's already plenty. <laughs> there's a lot of verses already. Um, and just like, yeah, narrowing it to like be the most concise I could and trying to get the right message I was trying to say in it. mostly live I think I'm playing rhythm I think Dave is on bass on that song um, Jim's playing the electric guitar part the lead I felt super sheepish about this song for a while and I couldn't figure out why and people were like this song is like a slow burn like where want you know they're and they love it and I was just like, oh, they're feeling a little, like, I don't know, protective. and But I think it's because it's like a new place of being, you know? It's like, I'm on my own terms. I'm speaking it very clearly, bluntly. Like, this is where I'm at. You're going to meet me there. And then that I'll be the fool. I was thinking about, like, the archetypical figure of the fool. Like, in, like, Tarot. It's like this 
somebody who just like merrily plays music as they walk off a cliff and they fall down and they get back up like life's challenges are just kind of part of the adventure um so I was thinking about that and like that role like oh I'm the fool I'm gonna be the fool I'll be the fool you set free and not that oh I'm I'm a fool I've been misled I've been duped no I'm just I'll be the fool you set free I'm gonna just keep walking and if that's the choice you know I'm letting you make that choice with other like affirmations that back it up so it felt very kind of new and extremely direct and honest and some of the lyrics maybe maybe it's veiled but to me they like you know I've I've found faith in a feeling that's better aligned it's like a spirituality um finding peace in the effort like the peace you make with your the work you do that smooths out time so it's like you know you don't have the same I wasn't experiencing the same degrees of anxiety that I've felt in my life. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, it had a lot of potent, like, new newness. In some ways, that kept me from having that song be a single. <laughs> it's like a slow burn. It's for the head, too. <laughs> its strong melody and pedal steel embellishments that seamlessly unfold around Middleman's strummed electric guitar, the album's penultimate track, Your Shadow, finds the band channeling the softer side of Crazy Horse. That song was inspired by a friend's death when we were teenagers. You know, you have the memories of your own life and the impermanence and the shortness of life and... So yeah, like having this those sounds be kind of super present but ghostly, and like the singing to be up front. But there, I like that there's a, like the instrumental parts between the singing is are long for the first two verses. You know, that's kind of like when you're thinking, you know, you're remembering and you're feeling and you're contemplating, and that gives it space before the next part of the story. The instrumental part I feel is just as much part of the story that's happening.
also like in that one like the bridge part how it quiets right after the bridge there's like the pause and then we go right back into it um i think it's powerful to do it that way and then ending it with a positive lyric hopeful lyric i should say <laughs> into like the timing of it the rhythm it goes into 4-4 four, four, just at that part it's not swing like swinging anymore and so there's like it ends with like oh like it's an affirmation in a way yeah that song is special to me I guess <laughs> oh tender with Tender Heart, a dreamy and spare number decorated with subtle percussive flourishes and blankets of atmospheric feedback that construct the musical backing on which Middleman's beautiful voice can deliver her final truth and poignantly conclude no medium with a sense of hope. Yeah, I think we all felt like this will be the closer for it. Just because it's ethereal. This is the oldest song on the record. I wrote this one in an improvisation between 2006 and 2008, somewhere in there. And it's just one that I've remembered. I got to a point with like improvisational singing, like that I could just sing a song in the moment. And this was the first time that that happened. And it just stayed, it stayed with me and I wanted to record it the only part that stayed with me is like the, the words and the melody. I wrote the second verse later, but most of it's just from a late night, free-flowing moment of clarity <laughs> or being connected to something, you know, channeling. So I just remembered that for a long time. And then I finally kind of like worked it out and figured out what the chords were. We just decided like, let's have this like kind of open, like that idea of like you're kind of in an improvisational moment or a jam late late at night with friends i love kevin's playing he had like a string of bells on him and so you just hear like you know like bells and uh dave's playing all that feedback 
I'm just really happy that I finally recorded the song and put it out because it felt like a pivotal point in my life that's kind of only important to me because <laughs> I was the only, you know, it's just me and my experience, but it, it kind of, I don't know, blew my head open a little bit to be able to do that and then to be able to recreate it in, its, in a new way with these guys. And they were just like, oh, we could just play this song all, all day. That Them feeling the love of it, too, um, just made it all the more special. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if we did, other than, oh, Jim added more feedback guitar on top of it. <laughs> but other than that, it's just the vocals are overdubbed, like everything else is in the moment. And I think it captured the feeling after the kind of the intensity and the heaviness of the rest of the record, it, there's something about it, like returning to a new center. And even though it's an old song, it like has a new meaning after all the other songs. And the part that's like, and in time, we'll shower our friends with thanks and forgiveness, we'd make our amends. I don't mind spending my time like this, just kind of that it's like a little prayer, like a little hymn, in a way, to me. It's like all this chaos, but in, you know, in time, like, it's healed. <laughs> For the album art, Middleman collaborates with photographer Bridget Carhart to create the cover's image. We worked together at a, sh at a little shop, um, and she's so, so sweet. And she studied photography at one of the art schools in Philly. But when I was thinking about the shooting the cover, I was like, I, you know, the I feel like there's a lot of like passion and like that kind of energy, lusty kind of thing, like or power to it. And I was thinking about, I'm like, I just, I want a horse. <laughs> and I know Bridget grew up riding horses and I hadn't seen her in months because it was like COVID. And I texted her. I was like, just out of the blue, I was like, Bridget, do you have a horse? <laughs> And she was like, no, I don't. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I was actually doing a photo shoot that's I've been using a lot for the press photos, and it's on the inside of the LP. It's my good friend Constance Mensch, who um, she's an incredible photographer. So we did, we were doing those, but didn't feel right for the cover. Um, even though I love the photos, I just was like, this isn't quite it. So after we did that, I was just trying to figure out, like, well, okay, I could see maybe using one of these. And then Bridget texted me and said, 
that it's like I totally forgot. So I reached out to the stable where I grew up riding. They still have the mare that I used to ride. Like the stable owner said, it's totally fine if we come come up and do a photo shoot. So I was like, okay, I'm game. Let's go. And it's about an hour outside of Philly. And I spent the day on a horse bareback. I I fell off the horse. <laughs> I don't ride horses. I, I was on it bareback and it was an incredible feeling. I kind of, after that day, I was like, man, I, I kind of want to ride horses now. It's, there was something addictive about it already. So like feel the, every movement of the horse, but so we took a ton of photos on the horse and then we kind of took a little lunch break and the sun came out. So it'd been a really cloudy day and there was a pond. So it's like, on it's on the inner sleeve of the album it's like a pond it's totally flat green with algae and then has a fountain in the middle it's kind of like an eye to it and we're standing next to that and it's just this intense green the sun came out and I was just standing next to the horse and she took a few there and when I was going back and looking through them that's the one I was like the hands I like did mock-ups of other ones I like the hands down though that was the one I felt I felt like as a triptych with my two other previous records, it worked kind of the, I'm now kind of facing, <laughs> facing the audience, the listener. I like that the horse is cropped out, but I'm touching it, like connected to the power of it. And then all the green, it's almost like neon. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it that felt exactly it when i saw it (laughs) middleman would complete work on the album in the early months of 2020 unaware of the year of uncertainty and change that lay ahead well so i like i was shopping it around to other labels not anything against spinster and they were like you should shop this around to a bigger label kind of thing they were encouraging it too because they felt like this record could be huge and I sent it out, like, literally the day that everything was, like, the news broke. COVID is here. And, <laughs> like, basically didn't hear anything from any label and felt the demoralizing feeling of rejection. Like, oh, this record sucks. Nobody likes it. No, you know, like, all the rejection and also, like, man, COVID. Also being, like, this is not the time to kind of be putting out music either or just it felt it just felt weird to kind of like even now it feels weird to shamelessly self-promote and but um I try to make music that is you know people connect to and have feelings and being honest about what I'm going through so I, I feel like you know that's part of the mission but it uh it also like you know you read the room a little bit with, with you know, the, the COVID, you know, everything that surrounds that, which we're all aware of. And then also, you know, all the intense need to support, like, this Black Lives Matter, stopping Asian hate, like, all the crazy, awful, just backwards hate and racism that's happening that needs attention. And then to be like, find my record, it just, it, it 
and I maybe that's just a product of social media like there's like there's like a gross feeling you feel like of having to do that kind of <laughs> have a selfie and like because that's what it you know like it's about me when it's like that's not it's just it's just whatever that's the weird part of it but so like all those feelings like there was a mix of just being like, man, I feel the catharsis of making this record. I was, I felt like it could be on a bigger label, and then I felt rejected by all those labels. But luckily, Spencer was like, "Well, we want, we want it. We were just trying to like encourage you." So, so we finally like, okay, let's do it. Like we talked to them. We kind of agreed on it last fall. And what felt like kismet is Emily. I told him the title of the record, and Emily, she's just like, "Oh, I'm reading Jane Eyre." look no medium and Jane Eyre I was like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> I just read that a month ago and that's where it's from so it felt like kismet like that she was reading it too um this is a book we I guess you should read in high school <laughs> well I never read it till then but it I loved it anyway so it felt like kismet and it then knowing like the process was started felt like okay it's happening and then also like I moved and like the intensity of this situation that I'm in just kind of overwhelms me but yeah it just feels like the process of making records and releasing them was already long and weird and then on top of it this is even longer and weirder um (laughs) and also anticlimactic because you're like all right there's no tour I mean maybe it's partly me I don't have PR, you know, I don't have, I'm on a small label and they're awesome and hardworking, but you know, there's not a big budget to do things. And it seems like it's all, you know, all that stuff is dominated by like a handful of artists. And so your album cycle is like a month, (laughs) like years and years of work. And then, but hopefully, you know, word of mouth keeps going around and that's how people will hear about it. Released during the same month in which a number of COVID restrictions were being lifted, the album No Medium reflects this same sense of hope that many of us are currently experiencing as the signs of normalcy begin to reemerge. Representing Rosalie Middleman's strength of character, This bold collection of songs celebrates perseverance in the face of much darkness. It's an instant classic and well-deserving of any attention it receives. And as for her feelings on the record, Middleman is proud of what she and her collaborators were able to create. Well, for a while I had anxiety about it leading up to the release. Like I was feeling like, ugh... I think I was feeling vulnerable. Maybe it is a little, you know, like it's just like that raw, like, is this too honest? Is this corny? Like I was just having like a mild freak out about it, but really honestly, I, I mean, I'm, I feel really good about it. I feel proud. I feel nothing, you know, but love from and for the people who played on it, and mixed it, mastered it, and put their time and, because everyone seemed to have a really fun time doing it, too. And um, it really was, that moment was like a, a really awesome time creating it. Like, writing the songs was, like, hard work. But the recording it just was fun. It was so much fun. And 
that to me I feel I feel like I feel really good about it I feel proud of it I feel <laughs> I feel like everyone should listen to it <laughs> Thanks for listening to In Loving Recollection. A very special thanks to Rosalie Middleman for speaking with me about this very special record. You can buy and stream No Medium and more from Rosalie at rosaliemusic.com, various streaming platforms, or at spinstersounds.com. Seek this stuff out. It'll make you a better person. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at inlovingrecollection.com. We'll see you next time. We'll get through this.